This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. The information presented is for general educational purposes only and should not be used as professional medical advice or for the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions. The views and opinions expressed do not represent the views and opinions of our employer or any affiliated institution. Expressed opinions are based on scientific facts under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions or in any legal proceeding. Full terms and conditions can be found at portablebeads.com. And now onto the episode. Howdy, and welcome to Portable Peds, the pediatric board review podcast. Today, we've got a great review episode for you where we go through our cases from the month on metabolic diseases. So first, we're going to go through our glycogen storage diseases, then our lysosomal storage diseases, and then we're going to end off with Liz's talk on MSUD, PKU, galactosemia, et cetera, and all the amino acidopathies. So let's just jump right into it. So in glycogen storage disorders, there are really three different main disorders you need to know. Type 1A, type 5, and type 2. So 1A is von Gerke, type 5 is McArdle, and 2 is Pompeii. All of the rest of the major ones they'll ask about are kind of variants on that. So types 0, 3, and 4 are similar to 1A, type 7 is similar to 5, and 2 is kind of its own animal because it has cardiomyopathy. But let's just kind of go through each one of those major ones and kind of talk about the things you need to know. So von Gerke disease is type 1A of glycogen storage disorders. It is a, due to a deficiency in glucose 6-phosphatase activity, whereas type 1B is due to a defect in the transport of glucose 6-phosphate. But typically they ask about 1A because von Gerke is the most common. Because of this enzyme deficiency, it causes glycogen and fat to build up in the liver, kidneys, intestines, and this causes dysfunction in those organs. So because of that, type 1A presents with hypoglycemia, hepatomegaly, lactic acidemia, hyperuricemia, nephrolomegaly, hyperlipidemia, both total lipids and triglycerides, and growth retardation or short stature. Hypoglycemia tends to be the major presenting symptom in infancy in these kiddos, especially when their feeds start being spaced every three to four hours or so. And this may present as seizures due to severe hypoglycemia, especially if it's under 40 milligrams per deciliter. If they don't present for hypoglycemia, they're often diagnosed within the first few months of life when they develop a Cushingoid face, so like doll-like faces with fat cheeks, and a protuberant abdomen due to the hepatomegaly and nephromegaly. And while type 1B isn't the common one they test on, it does present with neutropenia, impaired neutrophil function, and inflammatory bowel disease. And these defects lead to frequent bacterial infections and oral and intestinal mucosal ulcers. And we'll talk more about kind of the immunodeficiencies in next month where we talk about immunodeficiencies. So next we'll talk about type 3 briefly, which is Cori disease or Forbes disease. And this is very similar to type 1A like we talked about. So they'll present with hypoglycemia, hyperlipidemia, hepatomegaly, hypotonia, and immunodeficiency, along with a mild intellectual disability. However, it tends to be less severe than type 1A with von Gerke. And these patients also may present with a myopathy that begins mildly in childhood and kind of worsens throughout early adulthood. And they typically are treated with a high-protein diet and cornstarch to maintain a consistent normal blood glucose. And then next, we're going to kind of shift gears and talk about Pompeii, which is type 2 of the glycogen storage disorders. So there's basically two major forms of Pompeii. There's classic infantile and late onset. Classic infantile is probably the one you're going to be tested on. And this causes the more severe disease where 
children typically die by the age of two. So typically this presents in the first three months of life with feeding difficulties, poor weight gain, cardiomyopathy, which is kind of the one of the big differences from the other glycogen storage disorders. It also can present with hepatomegaly, macroglossia, and progressively worsening proximal muscle weakness, which can then lead to hypotonia and respiratory insufficiency. The cardiomyopathy is due to deposition of glycogen in the cardiac muscle, and this often causes a hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The median age at symptom onset is about one and a half months or so, and the median age at diagnosis is about five months of age. Typically, these kids need positive pressure support or mechanical ventilation by about four to five months of age. And then, like I mentioned, they typically die of cardiorespiratory failure by about two years of age. In our episode on glycogen storage disorders, we also mentioned that, at least in Ohio, where we're recording this episode, they do screen for Pompeii as part of the newborn screen. And be sure to check with your local Department of Health as to whether or not they test for it on their newborn screen in your state in the United States of America. And on a positive note, Pompeii's can actually be treated with enzyme replacement therapy with alglucosidase alpha. There's myozyme and lumozyme are the big brand names, but these are both incredibly expensive and you basically have a four hour infusion every two weeks. So just know it is treatable, but it's very expensive. So next we're going to talk about glycogen storage disease type five, which is McArdle's disease. This is due to a deficiency in myophosphorylase. These kids tend to present within the first decade of life with primarily skeletal muscle involvement, typically such as exercise intolerance, myalgias, and rapid fatigue with exertion. They may even develop muscle stiffness and contractures during exercise, especially towards the beginning of exercise, but this typically resolves or decreases upon cessation of activity. The labs typically show like an increased CK or creatinine kinase and myoglobinuria, And for these kids, as long as you limit their sustained intense aerobic exercise, you can let them do a fairly sedentary lifestyle with mild, regular aerobic exercise, and they tend to do fairly well. Along the same lines is Tarui's disease, which is glycogen storage disease type 7. This is due to a defect in phosphofructokinase. And this one is also affecting the skeletal muscles. However, this one has a couple different forms, and depending on the form, it may have some additional symptoms, such as nausea, vomiting, hyperuricemia, arthrogryposis, which is curvature of the joints along with jaundice due to hemolytic anemia. And this diagnosis can be made by a muscle biopsy, which would show an elevated ammonia and decreased lactate. So in closing, just kind of remember the different enzyme deficiencies that cause these different glycogen storage disorders. So again, von Gerke disease is glycogen storage disease type 1A. This is due to a defect in glucose 6-phosphatase. Then you have Cori disease or Forbes disease, and this is due to a defect in glycogen debranching enzyme. Then you have Pompeii disease, which is type 2. This is due to a defect in acid alpha-glucosidase. Then you have McArdle's disease, or type 5. This is due to a defect in myophosphorylase. Then last, you have Tarui's disease, which is type 7, due to a defect in phosphofructokinase. All right, so now we're going to talk about lysosomal storage disorders. So first, we're going to talk about Hunter versus Hurler syndrome. So both diseases are X-linked recessive. Hurler syndrome is what we're going to talk about first. So Hurler syndrome is the most severe of the mucopolysaccharidoses. It's a subgroup of the lysosomal storage disorders. The clinical signs of this disorder can be attributed to a defect in the IDUA gene, which codes for the lysosomal enzyme alpha-L-iduronidase, which is, makes the cells unable to break down mucopolysaccharides. This causes an accumulation of dermatan and heparan sulfates in the cells and leads to the clinical signs and symptoms, and also is a key to the diagnosis. Clinical signs include corneal clouding, hepatosplenomegaly, heart disease, macroglossia, poor growth, coarse facial features, and stiff joints. And confirmatory testing includes dermatan and heparan sulfates present in the urine, along with fibroblasts and leukocytes with decreased alpha-L-iduronidase activity. 
Stem cell transplant is actually the treatment of choice for patients under the age of two and a half before developmental deterioration begins. Enzyme replacement therapy is recommended for all patients to attenuate neurologic symptoms, and prognosis still remains poor, with death typically occurring between ages 10 to 15 years old. So next we have Hunter syndrome, which is again an X-linked recessive inheritance pattern. The clinical features of Hunter syndrome include hearing loss, no corneal clouding, coarse facial features, hepatosplenomegaly, progressively stiff or contracted joints, and dysostosis multiplex. Dysostosis multiplex is the constellation of bony abnormalities that are seen on x-rays of patients with mucopolysaccharide disorders. This includes an enlarged skull, spatulate ribs, hypoplastic epiphyses, thickened diaphyses, and along with a classic gibbous deformity, which is an anterior collapse of one or more vertebral bodies resulting in a kyphosis. It's not necessarily specific to this disease process, but it can be a key diagnostic clue. And again, the treatment for this disorder is enzyme replacement and bone marrow transplant is not effective. Next up, we're going to talk about some of the autosomal recessive lysosomal storage disorders. So first off is Tay-Sachs. Tay-Sachs is due to a deficiency in hexosaminidase A, and the clinical features of Tay-Sachs include macrocephaly, hypotonia, progressive blindness, hyperacusis, a cherry red macula, there's that buzzword again, along with mild weakness, which can result in profound psychomotor regression. Unfortunately, the prognosis for this disease is very poor. Next up is Gaucher disease, or Gaucher. This is also autosomal recessive. It's the most common of the gangliosidoses, and it's present in infanthood. The clinical features for this include anemia, thrombocytopenia, hepatosplenomegaly, and the buzzword of an Erlenmeyer flask-shaped distal femur. Again, the treatment for this one is enzyme replacement therapy or substrate reduction therapy. And finally is our Neiman-Pick disease, which is a group of autosomal recessive diseases that process fat abnormally. And based on where the substrate deposits, different symptoms arise. So common to all of the subtypes are difficulties with feeding, difficulties with learning, seizures, and gradual loss of motor skills. But I think that'll do it for our lysosomal and glycogen storage disorders. So we're going to toss it over to Liz to talk about the different amino acidopathies and galactosemia. So for week three, we learned about amino acidopathies and the disorder of carbohydrate metabolism. Let's go ahead and review some of these high-yield topics. The first topic that we talked about was maple syrup urine disease, or MSUD, which is due to a deficiency of branched-chain alpha-ketoacid dehydrogenase, which leads to an accumulation of the branched-chain amino acids. This results in an elevation of leucine, which is responsible for the adverse effects seen in this disorder. This is most common among old-order Mennonites, and infants typically present within the first week of life with poor feeding, decreased arousal, lethargy, vomiting, and they can even progress to coma and death. The characteristic maple syrup smell of the urine and cerumen is present at high leucine levels, and screening occurs via the newborn screen in the United States. Confirmatory testing is via branched-chain amino acids on plasma acid testing, and management includes dietary restriction of leucine in order to avoid recurrent metabolic decompensation. Elevated phenylalanine is seen in our next topic, which was PKU, or phenylketonuria. PKU is due to a deficiency of phenylalanine hydroxylase, which hydrolyzes phenylalanine to tyrosine. Again, screening occurs via the newborn screen in all states, and confirmatory testing is achieved via elevated phenylalanine and decreased tyrosine levels on amino acid testing. When untreated, phenylalanine accumulates, and this can lead to microcephaly, global developmental delay, and permanent brain injury. Infants will also present with an eczematous rash and have a mousy or musty odor to their urine. Treatment again involves lifelong restriction of phenylalanine. The next amino acidopathy to discuss is homocysteinuria. 
This results in elevations of homocysteine due to a deficiency of cystothionone beta synthase. This results in intellectual delay, tall stature, osteoporosis, and recurrent thrombosis. Of note, homocysteinuria is not associated with the acute metabolic crisis seen in the other aminoacidopathies. Treatment includes dietary methionine restriction, vitamin B supplementation, betaine, and aspirin to prevent stroke. For our last aminoacidopathy, we have tyrosinemia. This is due to elevations in tyrosine due to a defect in the enzyme fumaroleacetoacetase, and this leads to tyrosinemia. If untreated, tyrosinemia can result in liver failure in infancy or early childhood, and also renal tubular acidosis. And finally, we also talked about galactosemia. This is an important carbohydrate metabolic disorder as opposed to the amino acidopathies talked about earlier. Galactosemia is due to a deficiency of the enzyme galactose-1-phosphate uridyl transferase, also known as GALT. This leads to an accumulation of galactose and galactose-1-phosphate, which presents with direct hyperbilirubinemia, liver dysfunction, coagulopathy, and cataracts. The initiation of lactose-based feedings precipitates rapid metabolic decompensation in these infants who have galactosemia. One important association with galactosemia is E. coli sepsis in the neonatal period. Just like with some of our amino acidopathies, all of the states in the United States of America screen for galactosemia on the newborn screen, and confirmatory testing is via GALT enzyme activity and blood galactose-1-phosphate values. Management includes dietary restriction of galactose, which in a newborn involves the transition to soy or elemental-based formulas. Adverse effects of galactosemia include tremor, learning disabilities, speech and language deficits, and ovarian failure. All right, well, that's going to do it for this week's episode. This is actually going to conclude our month's topic on metabolic disorders and inborn errors of metabolism. Next month, we're going to move on to immunodeficiencies and immunology. So tune in next week to hear the first case on that. But if you like this content, if you like what you've heard all this month and the preceding months, be sure to share it with your friends. Let them know. We'd love to hit, get more followers and spread the word about board studying podcasting. Also, if you think that we just nailed this on the first try, you're super wrong. And we have plenty of bloopers to show that we are complete giggle boxes when we record this. So stay tuned after the outro to hear all of the fun that we have when we're recording this. We'd love to hear from you guys. Tune in next week. Happy studying. Welcome back to Portable Peas. We missed you over the past week. That sounds so fake. Because I didn't. <laughs> I was like, look, Sam, we already typed an intro. As a doll like faces with fat cheeks and a protuberant aberrant. Ab- <laughs> now let's go ahead and walk their eats it. <laughs> you stopped talking too long. It's fine. I know. We lost our stream. <sighs> Alpha L. I nice. I duronate. I, I get duronides. I duronides. Okay. There's so many words. There are. Alpha L. I did your. I, I, <laughs> oh my god, guys. I duronides. I Aha. The clinical science. <laughs> It's like when you turn the music down to try to, like, look for a street sign, like, we're not helping ourselves. This causes accumulation of dermatin and heparin. 
Hepburn? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> good old Hepburn. Hepburn. <laughs> and it is the most common of the ganglioscidoses. Oh, God. Now it's my turn. Either due to a deficiency in acid sphingolipid. Oh, no. Go it's all that I got It's all right. It's okay. okay. I can do it. Either due to a deficiency in acids, Nope. Nope. <laughs> I'm going to have a migraine by the end of all these enzymes. <laughs> or due to the accumulation of unesterified col... Oh, it's just cholesterol. <laughs> it's just cholesterol, friends. <laughs> Sure, Sammy. So our last answer. To- <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. I'll just start. <laughs> Guys, I can't say enzyme names. No more episodes with me with enzyme <laughs> names. We're done. <sighs>